0: That's joinMIDI.com.
1: Sabe kept her eyes closed and tried not to flinch every time the brush made contact with her nose. The finishing powder had to be applied lightly, which tickled. And now was not the time for laughter. Rabe's hands were steady as she applied the last of the queen's makeup. And Sabe kept her breathing steady, too. She knew from personal experience that inhaling the powder led to a bout of sneezing. And now was not the time for that either. Around her, she could feel the other handmaidens going about their tasks. No one ran or let their emotions break through their professional facade. But Sabe knew that everyone was on edge. Sasha finished with her hair, and Sabe braced her neck for the weight of the headpiece as Yane slid it on. Rabe pulled away the cloth at Sabe's neck, the one that kept the makeup from getting on the elaborate black dress she wore, and Sabe opened her eyes. She looked into the queen's face. It wasn't the first time she had done this, of course, but this time felt like it was the most desperate. The measured calm of the queen's dressing room was not expended much beyond the door. Sabe could hear ships landing in the palace courtyards and the unmistakable clank of droid feet on stone. Anger rose in her. The Trade Federation could at least have used the proper docking areas. It wasn't like the Naboo defended them any more rigorously than they did the palace. Movement in the mirror caught her eye, and Sabe saw Padme and Erte return to the main cabin. Padme's makeup gone, and she had pulled up the hood of her flame-colored robe to further disguise her identity. Sabe didn't need to see her face to know her thoughts. The team made it to the royal ship, Erte said, but they were captured. Captain Pinaka is waiting for us in the corridor. Where would you like to be when they get here? Sabe knew that Padme wasn't going to give the answer. Once they began the decoy maneuver, it was all up to the queen. And right now, that was Sabe. Can we make it to the throne room? Sabe asked. Her voice was pitched low, and her sonorous tones, a much-practiced inflection, filled the room. No, my lady, Erte said. If they catch us here, in the queen's dressing room... They may underestimate us, think us unprepared, Yane pointed out. She stood very close to Sasha as they waited for Sabe to decide. We will go out onto the terrace, Queen Amidala declared. Have Captain Fanaka join us with whatever guards he deems fit. Rabe slipped away to see it done, and the rest of them made their way outside. Sabe put her hands on the railing, looking out over Thede. Usually the view brought her peace, but there was none of that now. Too many trade federation ships marred the cityscape. She heard the mechanized sound of the invading army coming up the wide marble stairs and mercifully closer, the heavy step of Captain Panaka's boots. Padme crouched beside her fixing some wrinkle in the hem of her voluminous black dress. We will do this, she said, so softly that Sabe barely heard her. Sabe reached down, and Padme took her hand and squeezed it. This dress has enough Carlini silk woven into it to protect you and anyone standing behind you in a firefight. And you know that's only the beginning. Naboo resists in her own way. Your people are with you, your highness. We are ready. They were comforting words, and Sabe could easily imagine saying them herself, except she would never let her queen face such a dangerous situation, no matter what protections were woven into her robes. Panaka coughed, and the door to the terrace was pushed open by uncaring metal hands. It was time for Sabe of Naboo, bodyguard and handmaiden to do her job. And she would, because that was what she had always chosen to do. Sabe turned to face her enemies as the Queen of Naboo and Padme all but disappeared into her shadow.
2: So Queen's Shadow came out earlier this month, I think March 5th, uh, and I gotta tell you, like Ahsoka, it was such a fast read in the best way possible. Because Padme is one of those characters that, you know, in the movies, you get, you want to get more out of the character. And then in Clone Wars, thankfully, she's fleshed out a lot more. But in this book, it was so cool to see her in that political element more so than what we got in the movies and in the Clone Wars. And I remember when we spoke uh, last summer that Padme is your favorite character, and who that that was like sort of your entry point uh, when you saw the Phantom Menace. Um, what was it like getting to write that character and sort of shape her in that transition from queen to
3: senator? Um, it was it was truly a gift. Like I mentioned, pretty much every time someone asks me that, uh, I I loved The Phantom Menace and from the very get-go wanted more stories about Padme and, and the Handmaidens and, and the fact that the book exists would be wonderful um, just for me and the fact that I got to, to write it and to work on the character um, and the characters actually because they have always come as a group and so I, love, um, I loved being able to work of them together. It was just fantastic. Intimidating but fantastic.
2: Right. Yeah, and, and that that's a funny thing when you say intimidating because you're also um, pretty much working with a clean slate as far as the handmaidens go. You can literally write all of these characters and, and give them their own unique personalities. You really don't have to work with anything uh besides names. Um, so one of my co-hosts, he gave me like a list of, of questions because he really loved the book. And one of his favorite characters or his favorite character in the book is Sabe. And you know, yeah. What was it like writing Sabe? Because we know she's Karen Knightley's character in the Phantom Menace, but what was it like giving her that sort of, um, three-dimensional nature and, and something more than, okay, she's, uh, another handmaiden. She's very prevalent in the Phantom Menace.
3: um, it's funny that you mentioned them being blank slates because mm-hmm. for me, um, they weren't really, and that's mm-hmm. part of what made it hard because oh. we've had 20 years to come up with backstories for them as a fandom, mm-hmm. and so for me, I had to be careful not to like take all of the stuff that we sort of came up with in fan fiction and chat rooms and personal conversations since 1999 oh. um, to sort of stay true to, but also not steal it. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> um,
3: so um basically anytime someone tells me you know that they've they've loved the handmaiden since since 1999 and just made several of their headcanons come true it just makes me so happy because it it was it's that weird sort of they are like technically late but in my heart they've been these like group of girls that i've shared with so many people online Mm -hmm. so it was it was very much sort of a, a fine line to walk but one that was a lot of fun to do and it's funny,
2: that that's like as if all of you guys were of one mind when you were writing these characters, because like you said, you made a lot of people's wishes come true with how The Handmaidens ultimately came to be in this book, and because the book has been out for uh, almost a month now, I would really like to talk about that epilogue, sp- specifically with Sabe, because... Um, one of the things that we all really were wondering is at the end of it, you know, she's already sort of questioning the quote-unquote official story of how Padme died. She, you know, she doesn't, this this doesn't add up for her. And then, you know, she doesn't want to be disturbed, but then she learns it's Bail Organa trying to contact her. Now, I don't know if you can say, you know, what ultimately uh, happened after that, but for our head canon, would it be like? Are we on the right track in assuming that Sabe might have had a hand in uh, raising Leia a little bit very early
3: on? Um, to be totally honest, I don't know what happens after the last line in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of intentionally, like I left it open right. so that if there is another book, like if there is another story, we we could okay. get another book, which of course would be fantastic. Um, but I always try, because um, I did the same thing with Ahsoka, um, always try to leave my Star Wars books extra open at the uh-huh. end because I know that someone's going to step in um, at some point down the line, hopefully, and and do something else with the characters, whether it's in a comic book or, or a television show or another book. Like We have no idea. Uh-huh. But because it is that shared universe, I like to leave as many doors open as I possibly can. And that's very much what I was thinking of with, with the Sabe ending was to just give her as much as possible um, going forward if, if to go forward with her at some
2: point. Right. And be, because it, it was such a, not that it was, well, yeah, for, it kind of, for me at least, it was a very unexpected ending because I'm thinking, okay, she's, she's going to go investigate this, but then this whole other story can happen, you know, with Leia and the possibility of that. And I think it's really cool that you mentioned how you want to leave these stories kind of open-ended and give room for anything to really happen, Uh, especially with Claudia Gray's novel, Leia princess of Alderaan, you know, there's that room there from where that book starts to where queen shadow ends that all those years in the middle, you know what happened there. I think that that would be really cool to, to investigate. Um, Now, going into my my next question, I think I might have asked this last year in terms of Ahsoka, but for the Handmaiden story, I know you said you kind of uh, were cultivating these personalities for for a long time, but did Lucasfilm or the story group ever give you any sort of guidelines to follow with their story, or or were you pretty much just let loose and, and free to create whatever you really wanted?
3: I mean, it's, it's always up to a point, right? Like you can only, you can't like have one of them turn out to be a secret Lord or anything. Right. right. Um, but, um, there is a fair amount of freedom, which is one of the things I really like about working with the story group is that they'll, and you know, they'll tell you, you can do something or you can't do something. Um, and then you just write the next draft, which is really, um, it means that I still get to be surprised by Star uh-huh. Wars. Um, so there were some things we had to take out of the Ahsoka book, and I had no idea. And then, um, you know, at San Diego Comic-Con, three years later, we find out it's because the Clone Wars is coming back. Right. So, so, and that's the kind of thing I really like, where sometimes, you know, they'll be like, you know, you can't, like, The very famously once told Claudia Grace she
1: couldn't
3: play And she was like, but it's space. It's the spaceship. The ship can be wherever. Uh And then it turned out that the ship had crashed in the Battle of Jakku. And so it's in the trailer. And that's why she couldn't have it. But it was still a surprise when she got to see it. And I love that about Star Wars. That Mm -hmm. even though uh, I'm sort of helping tell the story now, it still surprises me a lot. And that's just fantastic.
2: Yeah, that's really cool that you mentioned that. Because it is great how... Um, those surprises can still influence uh, either other pieces of work and even influence stuff that you may even write in the future. You know, maybe they're like, okay, hold off on that because you know, we're doing that with this other thing that maybe even you can get a part in. You know, I think that's really cool, um, especially with the ancillary uh, material, like whether it be the video games or the comic books, how they can inform the larger story. Uh, I think that's that's probably one of my favorite yeah. things with Star Wars, because you're like, oh, that's yeah. connected to this.
3: Yeah, I think Shattered Empire, the comic book Shattered Empire, and uh, Battlefront 2 were both hugely helpful mm-hmm. um, in in writing The in Shadow. And um, oh, I was going to say something that's just like trying to think how to phrase it, and it basically comes down to you should all read Master and Apprentice.
2: Oh my god, it was so close. It was very good. We're so close. I that that's yeah. the thing, like I, I would love it if you and Claudia Gray could sort of write one big Star Wars book together. I think that would be awesome.
1: I think I
3: think if you give us enough time, we're just gonna have a collection of them. You can just encourage yeah, right. them all together.
2: <laughs> oh my god, we would love that. Um so was there anything that you may have wanted to do with a particular character in the book that maybe you weren't able to, whether it be that you just didn't feel it was right, or maybe direction from Lucasfilm, because I know you added a lot of uh, characters that we know in the Clone Wars into this book, um, and I loved the stuff with Mina Bonteri. I thought that was awesome. Uh, so did, did you ever run into things like that, that maybe you were like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that, or maybe you were directed not to?
3: Um, Not really. And with... The thing with writing um, with this sort of editorial style is mm-hmm. that I always knew it was going to be fairly flexible. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about um, about setting things up like that because if I write something and they don't want it, they'll just they'll just take it out. Okay. Uh, uh, a couple of t- a couple of times, they um, when Padme is thinking about Anakin, um, they put his. I always took it out, so, okay. so his name does not appear in the book, but there were right. drafts where it snuck in, and I was like, no guys, we're just not going to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. think about Anakin Skywalker, but you won't actually see the words.
2: Right, right. Yeah, that, that's a funny thing, because we saw the only one that was really mentioned, aside from Deba Bilaba was Qui-Gon, and... I thought that was one of my favorite revelations in the book. Um, was when we find out that Qui Gon knew the entire time that Padme was the queen, uh, and now that I have to watch.
3: Up. That comes up pretty frequently. Yeah, and to be honest, like I thought that was like canon from the fan writing under the theory for the last twenty years. Like I didn't realize that it was something that I like added. I thought that it already yeah.
2: existed. Well it's it's funny. Uh yesterday I was reading something. Oh, I was listening to another Star Wars podcast called Sky novel- Talkers. Yeah, it could yeah. be in the novelization as well. And then uh on this podcast they were reading a a listener email and they were saying how in the Phantom Menace commentary track that George Lucas did, he was playing around with the idea that Qui-Gon knew the entire time and he was trying to sort of uh sort of Toy with her and have her uh, reveal that information when she wanted to, uh, sort of when when she's like yes. uh, the queen. Uh, trust me, you should too. And then when she's like, I do not approve, and she just slumps down and sits down. She's kind of like, I want to tell you that you have to listen to me, but I can't, and it frustrates yeah,
3: me. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was playing with is the idea that they just respect each other enough right. to to go back and forth like that.
2: Right. I thought that was so cool. And I was honestly surprised to find that out so early on because it was something that, uh, our host Jason said where, um, it was always, I don't know if it was sort of implied because there's some moments in the movie where you're like, Qui-Gon sort of like, he's kind of hinting that he knows. And then when she finally reveals it at the end, he kind of just smirks. and's like, ah, okay, now you did it. Okay. Um, so I thought that was one of my favorite, favorite parts of the book. <laughs>
3: yeah. You're going to have to interview me and Claudia Grace together because there's a moment in Master Apprentice that I laughed really hard at. Yeah. Because of something that happens in The Menace and related to, no, I'm Padme Abedala. Um And it, I wondered if like, if she had done it on purpose or if it's just me, like with 20 years of reading into situations, right. um, she probably did it on purpose. She's very good. Um, <laughs> But the just the there's definitely like there's sort of Obi Wan after after uh Padme said that Obi Wan and Qui Gon share this look
0: uh-huh.
3: and um just kind of have this like Qui Gon's like see and Obi Wan's like oh for Pete's sake <laughs> I'm like I
2: love <laughs> I love that <laughs> that's like a very sort of Clone Warsy yeah, Anakin over Obi Wan this- moment. Oh man, that is great! Yeah, I I can't wait to to read that book and then see how that book, in any way, informs Queen's Shadow because they're gonna be kind of uh I think Master and Apprentice is what I know before Phantom Menace, although I don't know how much time before. Uh, I think it was I, I think I read somewhere like ten years. I'm not sure. Um, I
3: I can't tell you, but yeah. <laughs> my my <laughs> recommendation. Is that, that you read Queen's Shadow, right. and then watch The Phantom Menace, and then read Master and Apprentice, and then watch Attack of the Clones? Ooh, that's my professional recommendation.
2: Okay, well, we're gonna have to do that then. <laughs> that's interesting, because you'd figure you'd watch you'd watch Fan- uh, not uh, Shadow, but, right?
3: Uh, it's not quite a lot but I think that's the way you'll get like punched in the feelings the most times.
2: Oh okay. Oh, I think I see I think I see what <laughs> you're getting to now. Okay, yeah, I'll probably cry. I'll probably cry. Um, okay, so another part of the book that I thought was really interesting and I think we all did was the conversation between Bray Organa and Padme discussing having children one day and us knowing the child they would eventually have both of them, Leia. Um, how did that idea for that moment come together, if you can talk about it?
3: Oh, man. So that's one of those moments that was like 100% always in the book because right. Star Wars is all about like punching you in the field. Yeah. And so in the first act, there was a different scene, um, which when then we ended up cutting that conversation because we cut something else and moved a conversation around it anyway, and then it didn't exist. And then in like the third or fourth draft, Jen and Heddle was like, I really feel like they should have one of those like, not conversations, that's actually a conversation about kids. And I was like, yeah, we cut it. And I just haven't found a way to put it back in yet. And then like, literally in proof pass, or like one of the last editorial passes I was going through, and I was like, there it is, I found the place where it goes. And so it was one of those scenes that was like, it was always in my head in the book. But I just had to find the place like in the actual story to kind of slide it in. Mm-hmm. And when we did, I was very proud of myself. And um, I thought that it worked out very well.
2: Yeah, it, it was it was really great. And I kind of there are some moments in, in you know, books that you've written and books that like Claudia Gray's written and everyone that's written Star Wars the past, geez, I don't know, it's like almost five years now, um, where there are those moments in these books where they really stick with you. And they make you think like, oh, my God, that was a, like a really... It was a moment that you would have loved to have seen on screen because of the even the emotional gut punch would have been like that much more like stronger. I don't even know what I just said, but and and that's that's the feeling you get. You're like, oh, my God, that is amazing that these two women had that conversation and we know what eventually happens. Um,
3: Yeah, I have not listened to the audiobook yet. yeah. Um, um, I haven't listened to the audiobook for Padme for The Queen Shadow yet, but I'm really, really hoping um, that when they mix the music over top of it, the music over top of that scene is Leia's theme. I really hope. I haven't listened yet, but I'm hopeful.
2: I think it is because I got both the hard copy and the audiobook, and I want to say that they do play Leia's theme. I'm not 100% sure. That would be, that would be great. But <laughs> I think so. and I, I really love the way they do the the audiobooks for Star Wars with the music and then getting, and you've been so lucky to get uh, Ashley Eckstein to read for Ahsoka and then Kat Tabor to read for Padme because that just adds so much more legitimacy to the story where you're like, okay, Padme is actually saying these words. This is cool. Like this is real.
3: Yeah. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um,
2: So, so yeah, that was a really, really cool moment. And it also makes me think of, that heartbreaking passage in From a Certain Point of View when Alderaan is about to be destroyed and Bail and Brea are on the planet thinking of Leia. And I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. This is hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah it's.
3: It's fun and right. also fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, so, another big moment in the book is when we learned that Padme's plan of, we learned of Padme's plan to go back to Tatooine and free the slaves, specifically Shmi Skywalker. Um, how did you come to that moment? And are there some stories of Shmi you think need to be told or would yourself like to tell?
3: I think the thing with Shmi Skywalker is that it's like the great lose uh, for me, at least in Star Wars. Uh Um, because it's 10 years, like it's 10 years when Anakin goes back. I've hadn't died, like how would it be different? And everyone always wonders. Um, and I think the reason it was different, I 100% knew that I wanted to do it. I knew mm-hmm. right from the very beginning that that was going to be the ma- one of the major um, plot sort of thrusts. But I also knew that she had to be unsuccessful. She has to take this swing for the fences and miss. And so I had to figure out what would do it and screw it up. And like these are girls that don't screw up very often. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I basically, they have, have the best of intentions, but they don't know the planet, they don't know the culture, they don't know the system. And as a result, they mess up right and it's heartbreaking and then of course because this is what always happens they trust the wrong person because palpatine is like no i'm working on it and if you get involved it will be more difficult and padme believes him yeah and so just this idea of wanting to do something and not being able to um because they don't know how and they don't have time to learn and i think that's one of their like um one of the one of the tragedies in Padme's life is that she doesn't have enough time to do all of the things that she wants to do.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And um, so I always knew that it was going to be in the book and I always knew that it was going to be unsuccessful, but I still wanted to make it sort of, I still wanted to make the feelings effective without it being like a bait and switch. Because um, right. we know that Shmi is fine at this point. Uh-huh. Um, but, or for this brief period of time anyway. And so, um, but they don't. And I wanted to give, Padme, um, something that she would she would try, and she will always try, even if she fails.
2: Right, and you know, reading that part of the book, you'd figure because I think some people might have figured, you know, does she do that because she's also thinking of Anakin in that moment? Does she do that because she sees slavery as such a wrong thing, like anybody would, and she wants to fix it? uh you know and and i think they're both i think it's you, definitely both yeah right that that's what i was going to say where you can you can see both of those being true um because of her um yeah. because of her willingness to to help people and want people to be free and <clears throat> and you know fix these issues that are going on in the galaxy but also she remembers the little boy on tatooine that she met and you know this woman taking her and her friends into her home and you know just being a good person to them. Uh, I I thought that that was a I really think, great... I think
3: that, that's how Palpatine gets her. Right. Because if it was just a political thing, she'd be like, oh, I'm a professional. I can do this. But Palpatine reminds her that it's very personal for her. Yeah. And, and that she has to create a little bit of distance. So he he very much does that thing where he takes the best part of a person and turns it against them. Yep. And he does it on purpose. And she still trusts him at this point. She trusts him a little bit less, but yeah. she still trusts him. So it's painful for us to watch. Um, um But it was definitely something I, I wanted to do in the book.
2: Yeah, and, and I think it served the book so well because while you didn't have uh, Anakin in the book, you still had that that character in the back of your mind while all of this was going on. You're like... 'Cause then the what ifs start going through your head like, What if Padme had been successful? What if she found Shmi, brought her back, and then Anakin has her mom and you know, what what happens then? How does the story change from there? But the fact that she was yeah, unsuccessful. So many yeah, so many what ifs and sometimes I think that's fun. I think uh there should be like a what ifs Star Wars book. You know, Anakin doesn't turn, Shmi doesn't get taken <laughs> by the Tusken Raiders. You know what happens there? um.
3: I have some good news for you. There's this website called the Archive of Our Own, <laughs> which is basically thousands and thousands and thousands of words of people asking those questions.
2: Oh, God, I have to go look at that right after because there's so many questions I have of how would have this turned yeah. out. Um, okay, so one kind of weird question. Well, not weird question, but an observation that our co-host Jason made. He was like, I always thought that this quote or this moment in The Phantom Menace when they're going to Tatooine and they're on the Nubian and the handmaidens are there and I think Sabe at this moment is uh playing as the queen uh she asks them something yeah. and they say we're brave your highness. He was thinking uh I always thought that was code when I first saw The Phantom Menace and I'm so glad now that it's canon. Are there things you had in your head in your head canon about Padme? and The head maidens that when you got the chance to do the book, you were like, I'm putting that in. And I know you mentioned all that sort of headcanon that you had been cultivating for so long. Uh, was that a moment that you were like, I'm putting that in there? Sort of like, give some sort of backstory as to what certain things mean in the movie that there's, there's further context to it.
3: Um, the thing I have always loved about We Are Brave Your Highness is that it's very much like Sabe can't even really see her. Padme is standing behind. right? So Padme has to say something that indicates they need to leave the planet without indicating that they need to leave the planet. Right. <laughs> so she has to make a decision, but it has to look like Sabe making the decision. And I don't think it's explicitly like code words, uh-huh. but it's the way they answer questions, the way they ask questions. So right. Sabe says, you know, either choice presents, and it's great danger to us all, which is an observation. She's not asking a question, mm-hmm. but she is asking a question if you know what you're listening for. Right. And I feel like a lot of the time, they can communicate without looking at each other, just by tone of voice, or by, just by knowing each other well enough that they they can tell. Um, there's a scene in the book where Sasha has to sort of relay messages between people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they're sitting in a room with 10 other people who are all looking at Sashay too. And um, they have to basically like put it all together. So I think they're just really, really practiced at talking to each other without people realizing. And they're also very, um, they trust each other enough to sort of roll with the outcome with whatever comes. So Sabe knows that she'll make an observation and Padme will know what to do there's never any doubt that Padme will have an opinion it's just like the most opinionated person ever um but they will they will be able to communicate which I which I like a lot
2: yeah and and I think that also lends itself well to sort of the entire um complexity of the handmaidens and all the stuff that they kind of have to learn how to do and have to execute almost perfectly and seamlessly when when Padme's, you know, sort of there's the one scene where they have to do that sort of switch out with Padme and Sabe, I think um, and, you know the, all the reasoning behind the elaborate dresses to hide certain uh, equipment I thought all that stuff was so cool, and it's not just oh, she's wearing a, a really beautiful dress, there, there's a function to everything and the reason for the makeup, the reason for... I mean, sometimes sp- she is boring. Well, yeah. <laughs> you always want to be stylish. Yeah.
3: Sometimes it's just a pretty dress, but you yeah. never know. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Um, and that's why I've always... There's a line about Bale. Bale does it, too. That's why he always wears a cape. Uh-huh. Um, He's he's carrying a recording device, or a jamming signal, rather. Yeah. Um, and so the idea that, like, it's not just Padme, but because Padme has sort of this as being like you know always an ornate dresser they're like okay we're gonna use that right. and sort of sort of rolling from there which was fun but, but like she does have a couple of dresses that are just dresses like most just of the stuff dresses. she wears on alderaan for example is just gotcha dresses.
2: okay um and i wanted to know because correct me if i'm wrong uh in the book i think it's towards the beginning. Is there an attempt on her life?
3: It's very clumsy. Okay. And it's basically they're trying to embarrass her. So they're not really expecting her to die.
2: Okay. Um,
3: but they are expecting to embarrass her, which is, of course, exactly what they get. Right. Um, and her guards react seriously because that's their job. Right. And everyone else, like Bail also also had like a very serious reaction where he's like (laughs) you know it was a clumsy attempt that wouldn't make me feel any better and padme is like yeah this literally like this is my life like this one was nothing because the focus was just to make me look bad not to actually like i mean if they had killed her it would have been a nice side bonus but they were trying to make her look bad right and the idea that i wanted the idea that the campaign against her as a senator began as a whisper campaign so that by the time we get to attack of the clones and the um, assassination attempts and then Wessel and all that kind of stuff, it's kind of a reasonable explanation or a reasonable escalation. I didn't want it to be like right. constant death threat all the time yeah. Um, yeah. because they, they need, they need to build up to it a little bit. She's not, not really a danger. They don't have to kill her if they can discredit her. She doesn't run the planet anymore. Right. So if they can discredit her, that's fine, but she's not going to let them do that either. So
2: yeah, because cause that's what I was wondering. I I was saying, like, that's probably- wow, did this start this early on, like, these relentless assassination attempts? Because if it did, that's, like, you know, ten years between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. You're talking maybe nine years of that happening. Um, so I was very curious as to, as to like, when yeah. they really started to escalate and once, when it became, like, priority number one to get rid of Padme. Um so I thought that was that was a really interesting interesting development that I'm really happy to know now was like the very early stages of what we see uh at the beginning of of attack of the Clones, which now makes Corday's death even more tragic because
3: it's yeah like, day, you're just like,
2: yeah, it's like why, why are you do, um,
3: yeah, and it's basically they yeah you got leveled up basically, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Substantially.
2: <laughs> um so. I know now you've written Ahsoka. You've written Padme. Uh-huh. Is there yeah. another character, whether it be prequel era, original trilogy era, sequel trilogy era? Is there somebody that you really want to dive deeper into that you'd love that opportunity to sort So of... There is. There is. Okay.
3: Oh, yeah, there definitely is. There, there's always going to be, but there is. I always feel the most comfortable giving this answer because Pablo Hidalgo asked asked me on a panel one time. Uh-huh. So I feel like this is my sort of uh, my fair game answer, which just also happens to be the truth. Uh-huh. Um, and the character that I would like to write is a YA, so a young adult right. um, Palpatine. Ooh. Which I think would be
2: fun. That would be awesome.
3: Yeah.
2: That would be awesome because there really isn't... <laughs> a little dark. Yeah, a little dark, but I think <laughs> those those scenes that you wrote in Queen's Shadow with Mina Bonteri and I, I believe it was Count Dooku, right? It was it Dooku or yeah. was it Palpatine?
3: It's
2: Dooku. Dooku, okay. So those scenes with her... <laughs> yeah. to solve <laughs> <laughs> So, so those scenes with Mina Bonteri and Dooku in my head, I'm like, oh, that would be so cool if this was like, sort of, um, like if they took this narrative. In another, you know, wh- whether it be these little sort of side stories in the book, and I think Chuck Wendig did that with the Aftermath trilogy, there were these little side stories within the book, um, where that stuff was really, really interesting. And when Padme almost walks in on her twice uh, when she's talking to him, and how she's like has to yeah. very quickly, you know, end that that conversation and sort of say, "Damn it, I was almost done." Uh, so I think that young Palpatine. Novel would be really great because I think the last thing we got of yeah. him was around uh, the Plagueis novel, which is no as more I said, I do like to leave
3: the. Do-
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. What'd you say?
3: I said I do like to leave the door- doors open.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, and I think you have to. I really think you have to. Uh, yeah, and luckily, it's more fun that way. So, yeah, it is. It is a lot more fun that way because there's so many possibilities and so many years. Uh, in yeah. Palpatine's life and people that he may have ran into, and so much stuff there that would be so great. And I think if you did that young adult novel, and if you may maybe had a little thing in there about Plagueis, I think we'd all we'd all love that. I think that'd be <laughs> really cool. Um, so Queen Shadow, a month, almost a month. It's been out. Uh, what's been some of your favorite moments on that book tour and and just reception you've got with the book?
3: Oh my gosh! There's so many, so many favorite moments. Like every stop on the tour had different highlights. Um, there were so many great costumes in Los Angeles. Um, we had really good conversations in San Diego and Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, Portland was terrifying because I was by myself, but it went okay. <laughs> and uh, then the Orlando event was like coming because that's where we, that's where we launched Ahsoka. Um, so it was nice to sort of see everybody again just before I, I went back to my, my own house at the end of the tour. Um, there's been like some emails and a lot of tweets um, about people just like have been so looking forward to this book. Um, and I'm super excited for Celebration um, just to sort of, you know, keep sharing, keep sharing the book with everybody else.
2: Yeah, definitely. And speaking of that stop in Orlando, if you guys listen back on a because uh, we we recorded the entire uh, conversation there, and it's so funny I didn't know that the audio picked it up, but during that entire conversation you hear Vader in the background, and I'm like, I did not know that you would hear the get Darth Vader. That. you could hear the Darth Vader in the background, and it was so funny
1: <laughs>
2: it was so funny because cat cat's reading funny. the book and then you just hear in the back. <sighs> <laughs> it's like oh my goodness. He's here. Oh man, that was the best. Um well, thank you Kate so much for for coming on the show today and talking Queen Shadow. No problem. It was it was such a great great book and I really do hope you get a chance to write more, especially a young Palpatine novel. I think we'd all love that. Um is there anything you want to tell anybody of, of future future projects you got going on, or maybe any appearances. I know you'll be at Celebration. Uh, Any information on that?
3: Um, The schedule just went up, and I haven't even had time to look at it yet. So um, (laughs) I'm going to be... I don't know when yet, but um, they're all weekend. And then I have an off-site event in Chicago as well on the Friday night at Anderson's LaGrange at 7. Very cool,
2: very cool. If you're in the Chicago
3: area, you can still come see And aside from that, I just...
2: Yes. Master and Apprentice. Comes out April... 16th, I believe. I'll double check yes. on that. But, uh, yeah, April it's Tuesday, 16th.
3: It's the Tuesday after Celebration. Okay. They're going to have copies available at.
2: Oh, I'm so jealous of everybody at Celebration. You got it early.
3: <laughs>
2: well, guys, there you have it. That was our conversation with E.K. Johnston, author of Ahsoka and Queen Shadow. If you haven't read the book yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, go get the audiobook you get Padme reading you the book. I mean, what more could you ask for? And also, I want to announce right here that we will be giving away a signed copy of Queen Shadow, um, signed by E.K. Johnston and Catherine Tabor. Uh, So we'll have more information on that in the coming days. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Go read the book. And until next time, guys, may the Force be with you, always.